Hey, today is what, buddy? It is what? It's Coffee with a Coach Tuesday. It's Coffee yeah. with a Coach Tuesday, but how many of these have we knocked out? This is episode number 53. Now, I'm not sure how many episodes I've been a part of uh, your journey, but I think around 20 now or something. Well, I tell you it didn't get good till you got here, but I'm going to tell you something. Today is a special day, man. I'm going to tell you, if you love football, and there's a rumor going around that you love football, uh, if you love football, then we our talk with June Jones is going to be something you cannot miss. And I mean, you cannot miss because we are going to cover an awful lot of ground. We're going to talk about quarterbacks. We're going to talk about the Hall of Famers he's coached, the ones he likes right now in the league. Uh his golf outing with, with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, we're going to cover a lot of ground. And then Tag Leader is going to come by and talk about his journey uh, from professional rugby to professional football and the transition of the two sports and, and what he's doing now in the spring league. It's going to be an awesome show, as always, my man, as always. And Indeed. obviously, having you here to help us kick the thing off is, is big time. Well, absolutely. And you've got, you've got the future Irish FA Obata. Hopefully, in Tag later. I mean, it could be. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a great story. You know, when we talked to him leading up to the show, and and I got to give you credit because you were the one that brought him to the show. And, and uh, you know, great story, a great guy, and doing something that takes a tremendous amount of courage to to jump out of something that you're, you know, you're, ecsta- you're established in, you're a professional athlete in. He's playing for the uh, – for, for, you know, for the national team, he's capped as a national in the USA rugby. And all of a sudden he says, no, because COVID hits, I'm going to try my hand at kicking the football. And I, I give him all the credit in the world. I think it's a great story. We've got a bit of breaking news, even though this has been recorded, uh, pre-recorded, but uh, something that you might not have seen, Jeff. Tom Palacero, Adam Schefter, Ian Rapp, all tweeting tonight that as far as they're concerned, Aaron Rodgers will not be in Green Bay tomorrow for the start of mandatory minicamp. Uh, they could find him a small amount, but it's the start of the summer of Rodgers. It's, it's well, all I, kicking off. Well, it is. And I think, think about this now. You know Aaron Rodgers and you know his position, how embedded he is in his position, apparently. Is it going to help by finding him? Uh-uh. All you're going to do is piss him off even more. So I think that is a really, really, really interesting thing starting to starting to unfold in Green Bay. Uh, obviously, that young quarterback, Love, has got a lot of expectation and pressure on him right now because Devontae Adams and all the receivers are supposed to be in camp. And so, are, if, Aaron, yeah. if, so if Aaron doesn't show up, I think that's, a, that's, that's one that we'll have to monitor very closely. Oh, by the way, as we're monitoring very co- closely things, you don't have to call me Nostradamus, but you can if you want to. Because where did you where 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 did Julio Jones end up? He went to Tennessee, but more more I I, I know you got it right. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait. Go. I got it right. I got it right three weeks ago. You got it right. And fair play, man. You did. But surely you couldn't see this coming. A second rounder for a guy. I, that... What did what did we say? We said last week if if, if they were going to get a first rounder, they would have got that first rounder a long time ago. Right? I'm still shocked. Man. Well, I, how about, I saw some interesting fan reaction on this one. It really fascinates me because, um, I mean, they're, they're down on Terry Fontenot. 
some of the fans are after Fontenot's butt for this, right? And and <laughs> Arthur Arthur Smith. Why are they after Fontenot's? Fontenot's doing his job. It's asset management. He's got to he hold on. He's got to hold on to that player as long as he can until he finds out what's the best I'm going to get for him. Because with every day, it doesn't get you know it's not going to get better. So you, there comes a point where you need to move on. And, you know, obviously there are a lot of Falcon fans that are huge Julio Jones fans, and so am I. But mm -hmm. I also know, don't blame Terry Fontenot. He's not the one that said he didn't want to be in Atlanta, right? I just think that that, that one was a, a little bit of a surprise to me. No, no Julio in London, Jeff. No Julio in London. But sure, it's well, so grand. It's fine. It's grand. It will be, it will be awesome. Just, I, I'm telling you. It'll, it will be awesome. There's going to be a very, very good Atlanta Falcon team coming into coming into Wembley. I, I do really think that this this team will be much, much, much better than they were last year. I think they're going to do the right things on defense. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think there'll be more of a team, you know, cohesive, complementary football being played by the Falcons than we've seen in the past. Finally, Jeff, before we come into our first guest, you're talking about awesome there. No, Julio Jones, Derek Henry, AJ Brown. Oof, that is uh, that's scary. If if I'm Patrick Mahomes, I'm I'm starting to get a little bit just just a little bit of sweat. No, I don't think Patrick Mahomes sweats at all because I think Patrick Mahomes has so much ability, faith in his own ability that um, you know it, it, I don't think what other people do matters to him at all. Hey. It's going to be really interesting to hear what June's reaction to spending three days with Patrick and Travis Kelsey and and uh, Chris Young or Chris Long rather here on the Big Island was like. And and you know his they they it's interesting because they both shared the same agent and so he he was able to come over and spend some time with those guys and it'll be interesting to hear what June has to say about that young quarterback. Here, first of all, shorter interview, tag leader the next Irish NFL star, I hope. Enjoy. All right. Fifty-third episode, Michael. And we're going to do a little bit of island-to-island -island football exchange because there's a young guy that we have come across who is chasing a dream of being an NFL football player. And he has no college football experience, no high school football experience. He has no football experience. It's amazing, amazing story. Tag leader, one of your countrymen from Ireland, who is over playing in the spring league and doing well, I might add, in the spring league, opening some eyes. And who knows what the future might hold for this young guy. Absolutely. It's, it's fantastic to have Tig in the show. Tig, Jay. How's it going? How are you? That's hey, first of all, you're the first guy that's called me lad in a long time. I mean, that, that, that's like, <laughs> I thought those were, like when you wear shorts, that's what they call you when you're a little guy, right? <laughs> a wee lad, yeah. <laughs> hey, I got, before we go any further, right, I got to ask you this question because, like I said, I, I, do a little bit of research for the show but the, I, we've had women everywhere across the world hit the show and they want to know is that beard of yours actually real because it looks like an action uh, one of those action soldier beards right like gi joe huh that, 
Is that a compliment? Well, I, I don't know. The women seem to think it's a compliment because they're all hitting the show saying, is that, is that a real beard? Thankfully, I'm proud to say it's, uh, it's all natural, straight, straight from Ireland. So I'm, uh, I'm looking like a stereotypical Irishman I know, which with the, with the red beard and the red hair. But, um, Dude, I, I, when, I, when I saw your picture for the first time, I said, oh, no, cut it out. Because I said, it's like, it's like you came from central casting. You know, give me an Irishman, and, and there you show up. I get that all the time. I've been told if uh, if I if it was a little bit shorter, I'd probably fit the fit the mold of uh, your stereotypical leprechaun almost. So, um, I don't. Again, I'll I'll take I'll take it as I get it. Well, you know what, um, Mike actually was the guy who brought you you know brought you to my attention, uh, and this is you know long ago, like months ago, and he told me about this you know young Irish kid who was a was a rugby player professional rugby player and was going over to try and make this make the switch and become an nfl player and i thought for for certain you would be uh i didn't see it as a kicker right because rugby guys are tough guys aren't they i mean that's that's a tough sport physical sport isn't it yeah and now that i've been out of it for a few months um when i'm watching my old teams play I, i'm starting now to appreciate how actually barbaric it is at times you know like now that i'm not in that world watching the lads so yeah so thankfully though i was like your i was i was not the big lad who was laying down the the big shots i was more the kind of the quarterback style dude so the rugby dudes are tough but i'm yeah there's, there's a lot there's a there's some a lot tougher than me out there i actually believe it or not in, in my second football game i rolled my ankle and i remember kind of hobbling over to the sideline and thinking you know moving to football, moving to life as a kicker, I thought I wouldn't be getting touched. And here I was, game two. Um, so anyway, the road with the punches, as I, as I said. Okay, now, again, a, a lot of our listeners are deep into rugby, understand rugby, grew up playing rugby and you know, in, throughout the UK and Ireland and, and all over the continent. But there's a tremendous amount of American listeners that we have that really don't understand the game. They know it very little. Like, I, I don't know the positions. I don't know what's required by per position. What was your, you know, what was your role as a rugby player? What would, what of the positions did you play? Yeah, so I played uh, fly half or, or number 10. So that the equivalent would be to like your quarterback in football and um, where you're dictating, you're dictating everything essentially, you know, from an offensive point of view. So you're you're pretty integral. But then also that comes with that position is you, you kick a lot. So you're like the quarterback kicker combined. Um, so in rugby, it's a it's a pretty critical role. Um, you've you've a lot in your plate. Um, but so like that's probably the easiest um parallel I'll draw, which has been funny now. Obviously, I'm five games into football and I'm used to being from rugby being like you know. In the meetings, very vocal and being, you know, being very close with the coaches and being part of all the planning and stuff and things of that nature and you know driving things on the field. And you know, now I spend ninety nine percent of the game sitting on my arse on the sideline. So <laughs> that's that that's been different coming to terms with that. But uh, yeah, that's that that's the rugby position. So this football, uh, quarterback slash kicker is what I'd say. Okay, now uh, name a fly half that I would know. Give me a fly half, a number ten that I would know. The most famous is probably a guy called Johnny Wilkinson. He's Johnny Wilco. See, you you got the same haircut Johnny Wilkinson's got. You got that must be a prima donna position because you got that manicured beard, you got the fine haircut. Like, how long did it take you to to get like to get ready for this? Like, did you have makeup come in? Like, because you look at me and Mike and we just roll out of the bed and and like here you come 
all like you're you ready to do a Guinness commercial. Unfortunately, the we would be regarded as a prima donna. So you did hit the nail on the head there. We would we would be the prima donna position. Um, so yeah, I I won't even lie to you. That's that that's that kind of comes with the territory a little bit. But like quarterbacks, I suppose, right? They're usually a little bit more of a prima donna style. So maybe we're fitting the mold a bit. You know, as a coach, the thing that I, you know, I, I, I listened to your interview and I thought you did a great job with the off the ball interview back in Ireland. And so I, I to get ready for this, I, I listened to your interview. And one of the things that jumped in my mind right away, Tag, was that I was interested in finding out was you sat now and you talked about the meetings a little bit. You sat in the team meetings, you sat in the special teams meetings, you sat in, you see how football kind of flows in the preparation up to a game you know, all how the practices work, all of that stuff. Tell me about the similarities and differences between American football and rugby from that aspect, from the, you know, the team meetings, the, the yeah. preparation. It, w- way less similar than I ever could have imagined. I thought there'd be some certain similarities, but not, not really. Um, a, a lot more people here. So a lot more players, a lot more coaches. Um, so th- that, that, from that point of view, you know, I've realized it's very it's offense, defense, special teams. You're almost in your own like subcategories within a team environment, whereas in, in rugby, it's a smaller group of people, but we're all carrying out pretty similar jobs. So we'd be kind of asked to do similar things, whereas obviously the receiver versus the one of the defensive guys, you know, an O-lineman, it's very different job description. So fo- I think football is a lot more... Um, separated in that regard just because it comes with the territory right the, the, the jobs you've been asked to do um so that that was definitely something that was interesting and then i'd say more meetings because you have to, you know there's so much playbook and um there's so much detail to understand obviously not necessarily for me as the kicker but i think there's a lot more meetings here um a lot more time with guys spent on playbooks and review and film um so the guys in fairness the coaches and players are obviously very diligent because you know i think that's just as big as a part, I imagine, as, as what you're doing on the pitch itself, um, like off the field. It's like that, that's been more intense than I thought it would be. Um, from rugby, we do do film review, but not not as often, I'd say. Um, and then I think the the, co- the coaching's a little bit different as well, um, to be honest, in terms of, I found maybe with, with rugby, we were probably a little bit more hands-on from a player's point of view. I remember like we'd often be very two or three players, we'd call it a leadership group would be part of the, would be part of all like almost part of the staff meetings, I guess. Um, you know, uh, so we, we have a lot of influence there. Whereas I, at least to my knowledge, it's more so that it's the staff, you know, they kind of set everything out what's going to happen. And then the players just kind of go out and do it a little bit. Um, I'm not sure how collaborative that is. I mean, I mean, again, I'm the kicker, so I'm not in, I maybe, Maybe the, maybe those things are happening. I guess you know better than me. Um, well, yeah, actually, so that's you know, the, the difference. Well, you know, like for you personally, right? When you go from playing a position like fly half, which is a focal point position in rugby, and a game where the basically the ball flows through you, the play flows through you, and then you go to be a specialist, like the ultimate specialist as a kicker. How tough was that? emotionally and mentally and you know like you must be bored out of your mind at practice because you get what 10 or 15 minutes a day yeah i i I wasn't prepared for that at all i was not prepared for as you said the mental side of it um the the first game um 
I was sitting on the sideline for all the first quarter. I was just I'm kicking and punching now, but the first game I was just kicking. So first quarter, no involvement. And then it was literally with the four or five seconds left to go on the clock in the at the end of the second, I got to, to go on to kick a field goal. But I remember I was sitting just the, the you know, the whole game was going by. Everyone else had got involved and in, including our punters and stuff, but I was just sitting there watching and waiting. And I'd never experienced it. Never experienced it. Um total just a different ball game altogether. So thankfully now I'm getting a little bit more aware of like how to handle myself. But as you said, from training as well, yeah, it's just kind of like almost at the end of training, at the end of training today, we just did one mayday field goal. That's that that was an only kick. So you know, have to make them count. Um, but trying to trying to pass the not pass the session by, but stay productive and busy during training when there's not exactly like specific things prescribed to you. Um, I found you know, I found myself chatting to the physio or not the physios, the athletic trainers. I found myself chatting to the athletic trainers most of the session, drinking water, and uh, <laughs> and then you get your kicks at the end. So that that's been huge. That's been such a difference. Um, and I'm still I'm still learning just how to to stay busy and like stay ready, but also like mentally you can't be engaged all the time, so you have to switch off as well. So that's uh, from being a fly half, we did a lot to now very little. But obviously, what you do do is you know pretty pretty important. How about the how about the preparation going into a game? You know, the, the practice, uh, day one, day two, day three, day before, walk through those kinds of things. Does it does it follow does it follow basically the same way you would do it in rugby, where you'd work situational rugby on one day? You know how offensively they go first down, defense goes first down, then second and long, third and long, special teams all through the week, all your different aspects. Is it pretty much the same that way or different? Um. In that regard, I, I guess it would be somewhat similar. Um, the, the, in, in the lead into our rugby sessions, you know, would be we'd have a pre-session meeting and we'd be told, we'd be told like what to expect and what it is we're trying to achieve, you know, for the upcoming session. Um, so that so from that point of view, um, it would be similar. But I guess I guess you know things, but things wouldn't be as scripted because I you know I see the coaches with their, you know, twelve play script or whatever it is, and you know it's predetermined before the session specifically what was going to happen. I guess in rugby to a degree but it's you know things are probably a little bit more flowing um so in that rate but but in terms of the planning i guess yeah that that would that would be actually quite similar um and then i think for me though as well i think usually we're just the last the last um you know 10 15 minutes of training so i i i found it hard just kind of waiting so what i've started doing now is i'll start like you know catching for the quarterbacks or i offer the coach to run some routes if you need an extra body and stuff just because i you know i feel like you know i feel, I feel a bit useless almost just just waiting you know for an hour and 45 minutes so i've been trying to get myself involved that way and uh or just helping the quarterbacks teaching them the you know the, the rugby the way we pass in rugby all the lads have when they see that they all kind of like they ask how the hell do you do that? So I'm sometimes I'm on the sideline just teaching guys how to how to throw the rugby pass in case they ever need it for a lateral. Okay, now you have played both games, right? At a high, high level. And I get this question all the time, Tag, all the time from fans in the UK and Ireland. Why don't they use more laterals in football, in American football, in the NFL, in American football? What's your take on that? Is it is it applicable? Is it something you could put in in the game plan? I do. I think I think it would definitely be. I think it'd be definitely like worth worth exploring a hundred percent. Because even in one of our games the last day, we went for a two point conversion. As I mentioned, my ankle was giving me trouble. Um, so we went for a two point conversion. 
And once your quarterback kind of scrambled out of the pocket um, and everyone in the end zone was kind of covered, but like there was three or four guys to his right and I was thinking like, he could just easily just chuck a little lateral to them and they'd walk two yards in. So I, I, I think it's, I think it's definitely worth considering, right? You know, and especially if you learn how to do it, you can, you can zip it. You can put some speed behind it. Um, so no, I, I, I think there's a bit of, there's a bit of value there, at least to, yeah, at least explore it. Um, I think it could come in handy. Okay. Here's the deal in pro football. There's a, there's a saying and it's been around for longer than me, right? Which is a long time. It's, the more you can do, the longer you can stay. So here's what I think you ought to do. Develop a specialty teaching where you're teaching the, the rugby lateral. And then you're the, with your expertise, teams will keep you around. You got to think about ways to stay in the game, babe. It's just, that's just a, it's a highly like competitive that. industry. <laughs> I'm learning that, but I like that. Set, set yourself apart. That's, that's what I've been told a lot, you know, coming into this sport with zero background is that you need to find a way to stick out. So I actually did a drop kick and I did a drop kick, uh, kickoff in one of our games, um, which was good fun. No way. So, did you yeah, really? But, yeah. So going back, it's the same game at the ankle. Like, I couldn't do a kickoff. I couldn't, you know, take my seven-step approach. So I said to the coach, I go, listen, I only have like, you know, two steps in me. It was it was throbbing. Um, so I only have like two steps in me. I can do a drop kick. So then the coach had to mic up to one of the coaches in the boxes to, you know, A, they weren't, I think you have to check the rules or ask the, they weren't too sure. But anyway, after a few microphones up and down, eventually I got the, I got the, the go ahead. Um, and I got it 60, 60 yards down the middle. So the guys were happy. Um, the the coaches then they're just they're they're encouraging me just to you know keep that in my back pocket so I'd love to kick an extra point or something a thirty three yard drop kick. Hey, you know what? I've had that happen once in a game. Uh, Doug Flutie, who was our quarterback in BC, oh. was is really outstanding at the drop kick, right? And so we're beating somebody really bad at the end of the end of the season, and he asked the coach if he could go in and drop kick one. And he went in and put it through. And then he went into the NFL. And I think he did it for the Patriots against somebody. He too. did. So, he, yeah. he did. Um, I've, I've heard that name a lot because, yeah, for, for that reason, everyone said, like, you need to check out Doug Flutie. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm the, the, the furthest one I've got on tape is a 65-yarder to the post. So, you never know. Hopefully, I might be able to whip it out someday. Hey, who's your travel agent? <laughs> it's me, myself, and I. Well, I hope you're collecting frequent flyer miles because I'm following your career and you go from Connick in yeah. Ireland at playing professional rugby. Then you're in Italy, right? Then the next thing we know, we find you over in the United States and you're playing rugby professionally in the United States for a team in Boston. And now what was the thing that made you say, I want to put rugby behind me, even though you're an elite level player, I want to put rugby behind me. And I want to try this thing, American football. To be honest, a, a big part of what was um, in 2019, I became, I was, because I was in the States long enough, I became eligible to play for Team USA. And I got to play, I got to play for the US national team. So playing international rugby is like, you no, know, there's no higher level. Um, so I got to play, I got to represent the United States and in, in, um, play down like Argentina, Chile, Canada. I did against countries like that and that was huge like growing up that's like the pinnacle to play granted I thought I'd be, I wanted to play for Ireland um, but you know things change so anyway once, once I 
I kind of ticked that box, which was which was a big a big goal of mine that I wanted to achieve. And I, you know, planned on playing more games there for the US team. But then COVID came and I started kicking footballs. Things were going pretty well. Um, and then I went out to San Diego to train with the, um, with John Carney out there just to just to do a week with, with him and see what how did I actually stack up? Because you know it's one thing kicking in front of a a coach who's never really seen a whole lot of specialists and they're you know they see you hit a 55 yarder and they think or a 50 yarder and they think that's you know like that's amazing like you should go to the NFL tomorrow you know I was around guys like that initially who were really nice and really you know well intentioned but I knew they didn't know like what the elite actually looks like you know so when I went training with John and the the week I had with John and this we just sat down and talked and I just said look I appreciate the odds here are slim of what I'm trying to do um but You've seen you've seen me kick enough this week to at least you know pass some sort of judgment, and you know his feedback was I've seen you kick a lot of NFL kind of balls, and I think you've definitely sh- shown more than enough to to I think give this a go. So that was that was big and kind of helping me come to a, come to the decision that you know what, if not now, never. Um, and then I just at that point you just don't look back, you just jump in, and um, I've just been head down going for it for the last for the last while. See, this is what amazes me about you, right? One of the things that amazes me about you is what you're trying to do. It's not like you can go to YouTube and, and you know, Google it, right? I mean, you can't, go to the, you can't go to the phone book and find kicking coaches, but somehow you find Gary Zahner, who's a longtime NFL special teams coach and has an elite kicking camp and workout, which all of the NFL and CFL and professional coaches go to i've been to it many times and you went down there and kicked with gary how'd you find gary um his his name kept popping up for, for, the, for the reason you just said i guess whether it was whether it's looking online or, or talking to other guys or the kickers i will say the kicking community does feel pretty small and got and it's almost i think i've heard as a kicking fraternity and like guys are generally extremely helpful and willing to to, to connect with each other and um, mostly just through social media to be honest which guys I chatted with and um his name kept coming up um so I went yeah I went down went got a plane ticket and off I went to Arizona and <laughs> yeah and, and for, like, not unfortunately but that that was you know very early in my career I wish I wish I, I would love to be you know doing that event now because I you know I went down there and I didn't have a notion and so I didn't know what the hell I was doing um good, good experience but you know I was you could probably spot the Irishman pretty quickly. Um, really good experience, though. Really good experience. All I done was really was practice field goals. Um, and my field goals aren't really well, thankfully. But I, I, I never really practiced kickoffs, so just because I just it's obvious now, but I just didn't really know. Um, so I wasn't really practicing kickoffs. And then we're doing kickoffs, and Joe, I'm trying to figure out my steps and stuff on the job. I actually did my first ever squib kick the last day in the game. The coach had to explain it to me what it was. as you know, t- 35, 40 seconds before I kicked it. But anyway, that's off topic. Um, but yeah, I guess Coach Honor just has a, a you know, stellar reputation. So he was he was a, a good man to meet. But like, it was it was cool to, to, to see that and see the level of guys there. And it's competitive, but um, thoroughly enjoyed it for, what it for what it was. All right. When's the last time you've been back in Ireland? Christmas, Christmas pre-COVID. What's that? 2019, is it? Yeah, 2019. Okay. It's been too long. Had this journey started the last no, time you came no. home? No. All right, so, the journey. so I, I'm gonna set it. I'm gonna set a scenario for you, right? Okay. So, what's your hometown? Galway. 
All right, so you're a Galway boy, right? That's me. And you go back to Galway, and you're sitting in the pub with your mates, and you're drinking that Guinness, right? Yeah. And what are they going to say to you about what the hell? Are they going to go like, Tag, what the shit are you doing? I've already got that many, many times. <laughs> that, like, that, that first game, that first game, um, it was uh, probably like it kicked off midnight in Ireland and loads of my friends and family stayed up to watch it. But as I mentioned, I didn't get in till three seconds to go in the, in the second quarter. Um, but anyway, um, after the, so they stayed up to watch it. And after the game, you know, just getting messages from people, you know, they were taking screenshots of videos of me on the TV. And even I was there looking at these pictures and videos being like, Oh my God, that's, that's, that's me, me I'm looking at. Yeah, that's me <laughs> I'm looking at. It was so hard it. to wrap my head. It was so hard to wrap my head around. And um, so, so from their point of view, they just they think it's 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 cracked. Like, what are you doing? Um, like supportive, but they also just think it's like, you know, it's kind of such a different direction that I could have gone. But you know, I enjoy enjoy it. As I said, these doors don't open too often, so I've just kind of push try to get through one crack in the door and now I'm just keep trying to find a new door and push that one open and see where it takes me well I absolutely admire it I uh, I think it's fantastic uh you're a hero of mine because it's like I mean seriously that you know what I have there's a saying that I learned once upon a time and tag I tell you what I I, it, I think about you when you know, this saying popped into my mind when I started thinking about you know this interview you only regret the things you don't do. And for you, <laughs> I mean, man, seriously, yeah. the, what yeah. you've done, even if you yeah. never goes farther than this, right? Yeah. Think about what you've done. You have now kicked in a professional football game on national television, on Fox One TV. I mean, there are kids all over the world that dream about that moment, but you didn't just dream about it. You said, no, I'm going to go get, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to chase this. And to me, that is something to really be proud of for you and for me to admire and for all the fans that, you know, in Ireland, you, I mean, to me, you're a cult hero. And I, I think that's absolutely awesome. And I think what is going to be even more fun as we see you, how this plays out in your career, you'll go from being a cult hero to being, you know, somebody that they'll talk about is, you know, how wouldn't that be nice to be, Think, think about this one tag leader nfl that's got a nice ring to it don't it bro sounds good to me music to my ears <laughs> well hey music we got some we, we had a lot of people uh wanted to ask questions because that's part of the nature of our show so if you, if you don't mind mike would you throw some questions that, that we got for, for tag yes sir uh the first question tag was sort of go back on what jeff said there now um seeing guys like Effie Obata and other players on the international player pathway must really motivate you. Could you imagine walking out as an NFL player in Croke Park in the future? That's from David in Kildare. Wow. Imagine that. That's, <laughs> that's class. That's a class question. Cheers. Um, I have, yeah, walking out Croke Park, I guess I have let my head to go to like maybe Wembley or something because I know that's ongoing. Um, and the, the fact we're playing here in the cold stadium, you know, that the having you know, walked out of NFL stadium for games now, that was that's pretty amazing. But Crow Park, geez, that'd be something else. Um, 
we can make that happen. Oh, you, you've all the, the ties back to their back there in Ireland. So hopefully you can get to work on that as well. I'll get to work on the making the NFL and see what strings you can pull behind the scenes. <laughs> it's, 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 it's definitely going to happen boys in the future. I think in the next five years, the Cedars are playing Crook Park. Uh, very quickly. What's the next stop? Sorry. What's the next step tag? Uh, CFL, NFL. Are you quite open in that sense? That's from Sean in London. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, now, now that I've got, you know, a taste of this um, over the last eight weeks, I'm just trying to, you know, want to keep this thing rolling. Um, so in, initially, yeah, wherever that opportunity will, will present itself, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty open in that regard. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I want to keep playing football. Um, now that I, I'm being kicking and punting, I'm hoping that, I appreciate in the NFL, it's not overly common to have that, but you never you know. I know people talk about practice squads and stuff for being expanded, and um, I've put some decent stuff on tape. And again, I'm only four or five games into my career, so I'm hoping that some something will open, some door will open up. But yeah, wherever that is, as I said earlier, I'm looking to just kick it down and keep going forward. You know, Tag, you got to get involved with the CFL. Has an international, uh, it's not a pathway program. It's a little different in that um, global. global players. And those guys are actually on the active roster and actually playing in the game. It's not just a, you know, um, practice roster situation. So, you know, again, I'll be more than happy to help you in any way I can to get you on that global list for next season because they're, you know, trying to create a global footprint for our game. So uh, obviously we'd love to have a, we'd love to have an Irish guy. And there's a lot of, lot of, lot of Irishman in, in Canada that would, would would adopt you full on full stop right now, buddy. Yeah, I don't doubt it. We're, we're, yeah, that's definitely a, definitely a good avenue to look at. All right, now you guys got one more left in this season. You play against my buddy Jerry Glanville's Conqueror Squad in the last game of the year, right? Can the fans catch this on Fox? Our fans around the world. Yeah. The game will be aired on Fox FS1, I believe. Um, if not one of one of those. Um, so I don't know just yet, but yeah. Unfortunately, this one will not be the first five games we played in, as I mentioned, uh St. or Lucas Oil Stadium. Unfortunately, we've been kicked out for this week because Monster Truck is coming to town. So we've been uh, we've been nudged aside. So unfortunately we won't be playing in the big stadium. But yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can catch us on Fox Fox on Friday night, 10, 10 o'clock Eastern. Right now, are you ready to, to, you know, get right in Jerry Glanville's grill? I mean, right, right up in his sunglasses. And what are you going to tell him? What, what, what did we say we're going to throw at him? Stick up a few, a big, a few big punts. And then when the returners get downfield, just use all that rugby experience I have and uh, drop the shoulder and lay, lay some <laughs> fellas out. I think that's the plan, right? Lay some knock them, so. knock them out and then stand <laughs> over them and count them out and then t tell Glanville, hey, oh, yeah. Glanville, I'm, Glanville, I'm coming for your sunglasses next. You're next. You're next. You're next. Oh my God, count them out. Gee. That'll, that'll be something. That'll be something. I think yeah, everyone, I'll, I'll be uh, known around the world pretty quickly if there's some crazy Paddy running around taking guys' heads off and then threatening the coach. <laughs> if things go it. south, though, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm name dropping you. Things All go right. south for me. Hey, hey listen. I, I'll, I got your back, baby. I got your back all the time. All right, Man, I tell you what, I really, really enjoyed this. I thank you so much for giving us your time. And I know that you've inspired a tremendous amount of people, uh, young kids around the world that, you know, it's not too big to dream and go chase your dreams. And so tag, 
I wish you all the success and and hopefully one day we'll we'll uh, we'll be doing a game on Sky where you're you're kicking for one of the NFL teams. Cheers, Jeff. Really enjoyed that. I had a good few laughs there. It's nice, good fun, and uh, yeah, I appreciate all your help and uh, everyone that's watching around the world. That's been I've gotten an unreal amount of messages. People helping me out, so that massively appreciated. And uh, on my end, I'm just going to keep going forward and see where it takes me. Yeah, uh, that's all you got to do, baby. Just keep your head down and keep working. Aloha. Cheers. Take care. You know, one of the greatest things about doing this job is having the opportunity to reconnect with friends that you've had. Uh, football is a very small community, and um, one of the real highlights of my coaching career was having an opportunity to get to know this guy as a man, number one, as a coach, number two, and uh, somebody that, that uh, I think is, when you start talking about the passing game and you start talking about quarterback play, one of the most outstanding quarterback coaches and passing game guys that I've ever been around and uh, incredibly, incredibly successful. I was telling June on the, on the lead up into this, to this interview, we asked our stats guy to go out and do a little research for us. We said, okay, how many touchdown passes and how many yards have June Jones quarterbacks thrown for since he started coaching? Wait, what was your first year, June? My first year was uh, with Dick Tomey in 1983 at the University of Hawaii. A kid named Raphael Cherry. I bet his stats are not included in that. <laughs> no, they're not. As a matter of fact, now, now we're going to uh, we're gonna have to add them. But think, listen to this, boss. Listen to this. Your quarterbacks have thrown for just, and I, I, Cherry might put them over the top, but your quarterbacks have thrown for just under 600 touchdown passes and over 20 miles, not 20 wow. miles, June, of pass offense. Now, that when you when you put it that way, it's unbelievable the amount of success you've had throwing the football. Well, it's a uh, mouse taught me at a young age. It's fun to throw it. And uh, <laughs> so obviously uh, just continued in his footsteps. All right, so I, I want to take the fans that don't know your entire history. Kind of, uh, we'll go we'll go through it quick, but I, I think there's reason for it to go through it because it really kind of validates what you what you just said, right? So you're a kid in Grant High School in Portland, Oregon, and you get a scholarship to go to the University of Oregon and play football at the University of Oregon, and in that same freshman class is another quarterback by the name of Dan Fouts, who has a pretty good career for himself. And your, your, your high school buddy uh, keep pestering you about, ah, leave Oregon, leave Oregon, come over to Hawaii, you can play quarterback. It's, you know, Artie, Artie Wilson. And you leave Oregon and go to Hawaii and you transfer into Hawaii. And then all of a sudden, Hawaii makes a coaching change and they put in the wishbone and you ain't no wishbone quarterback. <laughs> no. and, and so you say, I've had enough football. Go back to Portland where you're from. You're going to finish your degree and get into, you, you know, your dad was in, in financial management. You're going to probably go down that road. And Mouse Davis, who was a high school coach when you were playing high school football in Portland, 
had gotten a Portland State job. And I tell, how did you end up at Portland State? Well, it was, uh, I, I, I mean, it was all mouse, really. I mean, I, I when I transferred uh, from Hawaii after being there two and a half years, I didn't have enough credits to, uh, to uh, uh, play or train. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, 47 more credits showed up on my <laughs> And I ended up playing for mouse for two years. There. He actually got me a sixth year of eligibility. And uh, that, that kind of, you know, we broke all the passing records in division two at that time. And then uh, I got a chance to uh, be a free agent with the Atlanta Falcons. And that was right, kind of most- before we get to the Falcon part, right. You're the only guy that I've ever heard that played six years of college football. How mouse could pull that one off. I have no idea, but the other thing that I've always wanted to ask you, and I never did because when I was working for you at Hawaii, Mouse and I used to walk the track every day because he promised me he'd teach me to run and shoot if I would walk with him every day after practice. <laughs> and so he told me that you were also the personal protector on the punt team. And you, <laughs> you, and you had the ability to call an audible to throw it, right? Well, but did you ever have to block anybody? Unfortunately, we faked it so many times that they finally – just played regular defense so I I had to call it but what happened was they assigned a guy to just or two guys to just kill me and they didn't even try to block them you know they just they just came through and said let's take this guy out and uh, so I told Mouse I said Mouse I, I think we should just go for it every time just don't put me in that anymore <laughs> All right, you go to Atlanta, right, as a free agent from Portland State, Division II Portland State, show up in training camp for Lehman Bennett, and there are eight quarterbacks in training camp? Eight? Well, they, they, uh, they had eight, but, but, but it was a little, they had four veterans, and then they brought in four rookies. And in those days, we were in camp forever. And so the first, like, couple of weeks was just rookies. Well, I survived that, got to go to the camp, and then we were down to five. And then uh, when the vets showed up and ended up, I mean, it was, I ended up uh, not getting any reps. You know, I just stayed out after practice, uh, tried to learn the offense as best I could, and got my throws really after practice with uh, Billy Rickman and, and Alfred Jenkins and the guys that were hanging around. And so, um, I, did, I ended up somehow making the team the first year. And so then the second year they drafted a, uh, they actually kept four quarterbacks that year, which is unheard of. Now it's the two that they keep two. And that, that's a whole discussion in itself right there. But, but I was on uh, kind of a taxi squad of some sort. Uh, they kind of were hiding me. And so then the next year I had to actually make the team because they, they drafted uh, Mike Morosky in the second round. And so same old deal. I wasn't getting any reps. So I, I knew that I was probably going to get cut. And so we had six preseason games. And uh, wow. about the fourth preseason game was in Atlanta. And Lehman called me, told me, he said, I'm going to play in this game. And so, you know, you got to you, get yourself ready. So with 23 seconds left to go in the game, Lehman Bennett put me in the game. And I went two for two, but uh, I went back to the locker room. I was kind of ticked off that, you know, a guy, a guy lied to me. 
the cut days on Monday now. I'm probably going to get whacked. So I'd never been to Disney World. So I just uh, packed up my stuff and went to Disneyland, met a friend down there. And uh, uh, all of a sudden, in those days, we didn't have telephones. So I called my dad on the landline about once every, you know, two two days, once every two or three days. And so I didn't call him till Wednesday. And I'd been gone now Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and it's Wednesday. And he says, where the hell are you? He said, <laughs> that the Falcons been calling here, wanting to get you, you know, get a hold of you. I said, Dad, Dad, they're going to cut me. He says, you need to call Lehman Bennett. Here's the number. So I called Lehman Bennett at about 11 o'clock that Wednesday night. And he says, we got the game on Friday. You get here tomorrow. I'm playing you against Tampa Bay. Now, I kind of thought that was going to be a joke, too, because Tampa had never won a football game. This is in two years. They're, you know, they're, they hadn't won a game. Well, sure enough, we're down like uh, – you know, 30 to 17 or something when he says he's going to put me in at the fourth quarter. Well, he put me in and I threw a couple touchdowns. We ended up winning the game. And then I, uh, I had a quarterback sneak to actually win it. And uh, so I still to this day, if I hadn't walked out of camp, I think I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. Uh, wow. that, that's how it was in, in those days. But um you know that was it, and then then I, you you know the other story about Green Bay, where I I now had been there, and uh, so what happened was um, this was the second year because the Tampa game was that that first year, and so uh, I, same thing I, I fourth guy in line da 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 and I I'm not gonna play. He he always told the quarterbacks last preseason game who's going to play. So if you were the other guy, you're not, you're going to get cut because they don't want to yep. get you hurt. So yep. I'm standing on the sideline and Bart's in a two minute deal through a ball and, and compound fracture on his uh, finger. And I could see it. And Lehman's walking down the field. Doesn't even know Bart got, you know, hurt. So I just put my helmet on and ran in the game and we were in two minutes. <laughs> we were down 28, nothing at the time. So I, I threw like maybe 10 passes with a minute 20 left to go in the half, we onside kick. Now it's 28-14. And uh, so I ended up, he let me play the second half, and I broke the Atlanta Falcon uh, one-game passing record in a half. And I was calling my – basically calling my own plays. And so Lehman, you know, brought me in the locker room right after the game. He goes, how come – why weren't you calling my plays? I said, <laughs> I, I, I didn't think I was going to play. And I, I put my contacts in. And uh, so, and so I couldn't, couldn't see, you know, what you were signaling. And so that was the headlines on the sport page the next day. Because everybody wanted to know how come we're, we're not handing the ball off like they always did. Yep. I threw it like 38 times and a half, okay? So they had thrown that many passes in a game for the prior year and a half. And so anyway, that was the headlines. He didn't put his contact lenses in. <laughs> Hey, you know, you talked about Steve Barkowski, who was number one draft pick out of Cal and represented by your friend, Lee Steinberg, who represented you. And I remember at one of your golf tournaments, June, Bart told me that you guys were roommates on the road and that you made a comment to him that one day when you're done playing, you're going to go into coaching and you're going to. Playing, a, you're going to have an offense with no tight ends 
and four wide receivers every down, and you're going to throw it and throw it and throw it. So you knew what you were going to you were going to go down this road well before. Oh yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, obviously, you know, playing for Mouse and then going back in the NFL and playing in a you know a Chuck Knox system. Uh, you know, it it was not how I thought that I wanted to prove that you could win passing the football. And so, uh, so that's what I did. And, and it, it, you know, I climbed the ladder really quickly because I was different and because I had so much success and, and uh, you know, so people that were down the programs that were at the bottom, whether it was the national football league, Detroit, Houston, Atlanta, all had, you know, the worst seasons they ever had. Well, those are the guys that I had a chance to get a job with uh, Hawaii and condition. And, uh, you know, because they, they, they were looking for a different way to play the game and to sell tickets, and I knew that we could do that. Okay, so you, you go into coaching, right? And because of a relationship that you had really forged with Jerry Glamble when he was the defensive coordinator in Atlanta, and you were the mm -hmm. scout team quarterback, and, and Jerry told me numerous times that you would, you know, because you were, uh, you know, the last quarterback on the depth chart, you'd come over and watch defensive meetings so that you could give a better look for the offense the next day or for the defense the next day. And that you guys became friends. So Jerry gets the Houston job, brings you in there to, to run the deal. And you got a pretty good quarterback out of Canada coming at, came in with Hugh Campbell, I think a year or two before, what was it like coaching Warren Moon? Well, Warren, uh, obviously I, I had played in Canada for a, a year and he had won, I want to say three or four great cups and we played him and I couldn't believe his accuracy with the football. And so when he came back down from the, uh, from the CFL to Houston, uh, he was put in a, a really a no win situation. They were terrible. I remember, I remember Dallas in the last game before Jerry took over uh, him getting sacked by the Cowboys 12 times in a game. And then he got full on hits after throws like 15 at times in that game. And so I remember uh, I just got there in January and Lad Herzak called me in his office and, and uh, said, we're going to trade him. Uh, the Raiders want him. And I said, I told Lad, I said, Lad, at least let me have the off season. At least let me have him in my system through, uh, you know, the spring on the OTAs. And if you're going to trade him, you can trade him. You know, after that, but let, let me try to get him plugged into what we're doing. Well, Warren, uh, I, I've not ever had uh, a quarterback not be successful in, in what we do, but I knew Warren was struggling uh, with now because he played two and a half seasons or so in Houston and he just got killed. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't the Warren that I saw up in Edmonton. And so I spent a lot of time just on at throwing accuracy drills and different things and, and just these guys, you got to trust me, this is going to work and da, 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 da. And so we just bonded and uh, Lad never traded him. Warren made, took us to the playoffs that first, first year and made the Pro Bowl. And uh, then the second year, same way, uh, we went to playoffs, won the first game, lost the second one. And then then I left to go to Atlanta uh, with Jerry and uh, um, oh no, excuse me. I went to Detroit from there uh, to, to 
help Mouse uh, get get it done in Detroit. And uh, you know, Warren, the rest is history. He went on to be, I, I mean, he's maybe still the all-time passing yardage guy in the, in the National Football League. I don't know. I don't check those stats, but but unbelievable career and uh, became became one of the best deep ball throwers. And uh, um, you know, we worked on that really hard uh, because he wasn't hitting those guys. Uh, before I got there, and I used to always remember hitting hit them in Edmonton. And uh, but anyway, he got that corrected, and, and we, we 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 had a pretty good run. Okay, now then you go to because of your loyalty, and this is one of the things that people who don't know June learn about June. Friends and loyalty and those things are really important to you. Mouse was up in Detroit and kind of on his own a little bit from a from a standpoint of coaching. And so you went up there to, to work with him and to help him survive that tough environment in Detroit. But there was no Warren Moon up there. Who did you have as a quarterback there for the first year? Well, we uh, we drafted Rodney Pete, and uh, and then we talked. I talked Mouse into signing, and and he agreed. Bob Galliano, who we'd had at the Denver Gold, and he was kind of going back and forth uh, with the 49ers and this and that. And finally, we, we uh, Bob ended up being really the guy for us uh, that played. And then I had had a kid uh, that I worked out, uh, and 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 he played at Long Beach, uh, Long Beach State. That, that when I was at Hawaii in '83, he threw the heck out of the ball. And I told Mouse, I said, you know, Eric Kramer. I said, I know he's better than these guys we got. And so we signed him too. And then so Bob in '89, and then Kramer took over the next year and played two seasons. And he actually uh, got signed by the Chicago Bears uh, off, of, off of that deal. Just think he was he was selling insurance or something when, when I, I called him and said, hey, come, come up here, I want these guys to see work out. And so we put him through the workout and we signed him. Now th there's a common thread that we're gonna get into about that offense and guys off the scrap heap, guys off the street, guys <laughs> that people had given up on because you made Eric Kramer an awful lot of money in Detroit yeah. because he yep. sent, went to Chicago and signed that big contract and really because of what he had done there. Jim Kelly. Talk about Jim Kelly. Yeah, well, Jim, uh, Jim was at Miami and uh, Jerry Argovitz was, was serious. He was going to have, have you know, somebody that was going to be a number one pick in the NFL, the USFL was trying to challenge them on players. So they ended up uh, getting Steve Young. They ended up getting Jim Kelly, which came to the Gamblers. And uh, Jim was a rep guy. You know, he was a guy that uh, had to have a lot of reps uh, as he went, but he had the physical skills and leadership skills kind of that all the great ones have. His accuracy was incredible. And so... I remember we, we didn't think he was going to get it. We're four games into the season and, and, uh, and, and he's doing the wrong things, throwing to the wrong guys. And, and I remember mouse. In fact, we, we signed, uh, uh, that we signed Kramer too at that time. And that's why we and I brought him back up to Detroit. And so we were getting ready to, uh, uh, put uh, another guy in and all of a sudden Jim just lit it up, lit it up, lit it up. I mean, he, well, I mean, go back and look at those games, the throws he's made and the athleticism he showed. And he was just a great winner leader. Uh, and I, I don't know that 
you know, basically, I have to say this, that uh, what was the coach's name, the, the Levy, uh, Marv Levy? Marv Levy, yeah. Yeah, played Jimmy. He was the head coach in Chicago, and and we played them, and he was unbelievable. Then he went to the Arizona Wranglers. We, we beat them in the playoffs there. And then uh, when Marv got to Buffalo after the USFL thing, uh, of course, Buffalo had Jim's rights. So basically the offense that uh, Marcia Broda ran, Jimmy had a lot of impact into that. And Marv realized that you could win now with a tight end and three wides or four wides. And he's really probably more responsible for changing, uh, you know, anything in the National Football League than even I did because we, we didn't have we, – we were successful – but these guys went to five straight Super Bowls doing that stuff. And, uh, you know, changed the game. Well, you go back with Jerry when he goes to Atlanta. Uh, again, yeah. loyalty is guy. And he, he drafts a young kid out of Southern Mississippi who, by his own admission in his Hall of Fame speech in the NFL, did not know what a nickel defense was when he came to the National Football League in Brett Favre. Yeah. Did, did you, did you, were you a part of that like evaluation? And, and uh, I know you were that, there for that season, but what was that like? Yeah. That young... Well, he, uh, he, Brett was, uh, you know, Brett, you knew, I um, mean, we drafted him, I want to say the top of the second round. And, uh, but in that he had had a car accident and had a hip injury. Uh, and, you know, he was going through that right before the draft. But when you watched him play, he's just like he was at the Packers. You know, the game's on the line. I want to say he won eight of, you know, they won 10 or something that year. But I think eight of them in the final drive, you know, he, he threw touchdowns and took them down the field. So you kind of knew he was one of those guys. Uh, but what happened to him and he, and if you ESPN that 30 for 30 that he did, he talked about his year in Atlanta and he basically said, I would have traded me too. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, he, he, up, you know, I don't think he, he was sober in one meeting uh, that he came to, he was enjoying that bonus money and living the life. Uh, he, he didn't apply himself at all. And uh, to be quite honest, we didn't, you know, he was on taking some pills for his hip. And so at that time, you know, uh, we made the decision we needed some defensive help. Uh, and, and a quarterback playing for me, Chris Miller, was playing very well, making the Pro Bowl. So we traded him. And, uh, you know, I laughed when Brett said, I would have traded me too. <laughs> well, I heard, he, I heard he was all pro in Buckhead. It was the only all pro he made when he was in Atlanta. But, hey, so then, so then fortunes changed. And you get named the head coach in Atlanta and take the Falcons to the playoffs. And I think June, again, I may be wrong on this, but I think it was only their second or third playoff appearance in the history of the franchise. When you took them up to green Bay and played, played the Packers. Um, and you, and you, you talked about Chris Miller, but you had another guy with phenomenal physical talent in Jeff George there. Yeah. And I and I was as I was researching for the for the show, June. I did not realize that Jeff George's all-time highest completion percentage as a quarterback in his career, college and pro, 
was that year in Atlanta where he threw for, threw for all those yards and over 60% completion. That guy was a unique talent to me. Yeah, he was. He, he was the best and still is the best physical uh, uh, player that I've had. You know, we traded we traded for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, we I told I told Kenny, I said, just get me a quarterback when I got the head job because we were done. Bobby Hebert was having trouble with his arm and C. Mill had concussions and went to Arizona. So we were down to, you know, basically nobody. And so I remember the Jeff George workout, you know, four years earlier when he uh, was coming out. That was just phenomenal. I said, you get me that guy. I said, we'll win. And uh, so we did. And I remember telling Jeff uh, when we signed him, I said, Jeff, you got three years left on this contract. I said, I'm going to make you the highest paid player in the the league. And so, um, uh, so, so what happened was, um, so what happened was he did, you know, we went through, we made, boom, he became his only Pro Bowl year, I think was uh, yeah. 95. And uh, that's his only playoff game that he ever played in his whole career either. Uh, but when he pulled out, I said, Jeff, you can't hold out. I said, we made a deal. Da, 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 da. I said, Atlanta's not going to pay you. And by that time, Jeff had kind of lost the team a little bit with that, with, uh, at the end of that playoff year. And, and so we kind of knew that, that everybody, Bobby came in and beat the 49ers, you know, and Bobby was one of those guys that everybody just rallied around where Jeff was, was not that type of uh, uh, leader. Uh, but anyway, the, the Thursday night game came and I, you know, I, I did what I had to do. He wasn't doing, he wasn't seeing it, wasn't doing it. And, uh, you know, he and I are good friends now and we talk all the time. In fact, I'm going to sign his son if the XFL uh, comes back up, Jeff George Jr. And uh, I'm going to bring him to camp. And uh, I think uh, I think it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be fun to see him have success. You were with me at SMU when we looked at Jeff George Jr. film, yeah. right? Yes, I, I, I remember. Yeah. With it. You know what? And there was another quarterback we looked at named Arthur Smith that is now the head, the head coach in Atlanta when, yeah. when he was a high school kid too so all right now from Atlanta you go to San Diego and this is a this is a ph phenomenal story to me because I remember this the first time we were in we're in Hawaii and the first time I heard this guy's name need novel now in addition to it being an unusual name this was an unusual cat that you can you explain what Jonathan Neednoggle kind of his his thing and what you guys did with him to in, when you're making a choice between Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning? Yeah, well, the Chargers had uh, Jonathan Neednoggle um, is uh, 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 strongly believes that all the great players at each position has certain brain codes, like the Meyer Briggs Meyer ESTPs are the best quarterbacks. Uh, such and such and such uh, the best running backs, best tackles. So Bobby Beathard was really interested in that uh, discussion, and they paid Jonathan like two hundred thousand dollars to do the whole draft in nineteen ninety nine. And so um, this was all new. Nobody. This Bobby. This was one of the first professional things that Jonathan got to do. And so he came and spoke to us and talked to us about what he does. And of course, you know how coaches are, they get out of here with that. You know? <laughs> but, but I kind of sat there and wanted to know more. 
And so he told me that Peyton Manning was ESTP and Ryan Leaf. There's no other player in the National Football League at quarterback with his brain type. And so I said, Bobby, well, you know, because we were, we, were, we were like the, I don't know, seventh pick, but we had a bunch of things we could trade. So we trade from the seventh pick to the second pick, okay, so that we can get a quarterback. And uh, I said, we're going to give away all this. And, and we know he's not one of those guys, and we're still going to take him. Bobby said the, the owner wants a, a quarterback. And so we ended up drafting Ryan Leaf. And so I had him for a year. And actually, if you go back and look at Ryan's stats, his best two games, I think, was when he played for me. And then he had a third one where he kind of lost the team. And so I had to go a different direction there. Um, but that's, that's where Jonathan and so – I've had him to SMU. I've had him to Hawaii. Yep, I remember. I was telling I was telling Lee about this uh, the other day. We had a kid named Ray, Reagan Mauia, and he was a 355 pound nose tackle. And so I had Jonathan look at all the positions, and I knew that Reagan was a real athlete, you know, because he saw him do things and knows that wow, that guy's got some feet. And so I asked him to sit down with five, four or five guys every year that were underperforming for me and he said you need to move Reagan Maui to running back I said running back he said he's brain type like the great running backs but Reagan gets drafted in the fourth round as a running back the next year never having played the position higher than anybody at SC SC had two running backs going like six and seven Reagan's drafted before him and had a 10-year career in the NFL as a running back I mean hey. that that's Pretty amazing. I, I, I remember that that year, and I believe it was San Diego State. At the end of that year, he got to play, and he's carrying the ball, June, and he's got it like a rugby ball up and like not tucked, no, no five points of pressure, and the whole thing. He's got the, and he became a fan. I mean, he was like a he, he was a phenomenon. He was absolutely a phenomenon. And there was a kid who couldn't get on the field as a nose tackle on defense and we had some pretty good defensive linemen in, in our defense, but like you say, that brain typing thing is a fascinating, fascinating look into what really makes a player. I want to go down this road now because we talked about a lot of guys and in your experience having, you said you've had them of all different sizes, shapes, makeups, when you're evaluating the quarterback position, which is the most important position on the field, bar none, maybe the most important position in sport in a team game. What are the factors? What are the critical factors you look for? Well, the number one thing, and 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 this is proven out because every quarterback's played for me, uh, has been able to do this is accuracy, and and I'm not talking like percentage of you know completion percentage because that gets kind of uh, uh, out of whack too I'm talking about when a guy's running full speed across the field the ball is 18 inches right out front and he reaches up and catches it in his hands it's not in his body it's not behind him it's just like right on the money and uh, those guys that have been that way for me are all the ones that become the guys I mean uh Colt Brennan was that way. Uh, uh, um, Chris Miller was that way. Jeff George was that way. Warren Moon was that way. Uh, Jim Kelly was that way. 
And, you know, they're all different sizes, all different athletic abilities. Uh, Colt Brennan was on phenomenal accuracy. Um, and so that's the number one thing. Now, what's happened in, in college, uh, you know, in evaluating the quarterbacks now, the, uh, the game has now changed, uh, you know, to the spread formations, all the, the uh, athletic things that, that Lamar Jackson does, you know, pull it out, run, all those kind of things. I think that you still have to have a quarterback uh, that can move and create. Okay. And the, all the guys I've mentioned uh, other than Jim Kelly uh, had a way of moving in the pocket, sidestepping, but they weren't looking to run like they're teaching the quarterbacks to do now, keep it and go, you know, where, where uh, Jim and, and, and all the uh, athletic guys that I've had, even Colt, he was looking to pass the ball if he got out of the pocket, you know, and, and that's the type of thing that I, that I do. I think the defense has improved so much that your, your quarterback no longer can be a June Jones, you know, you know, five steps back and, you know, hit, hit your foot and throw it. I mean, you better be able to do something to avoid because the defensive linemen, and the defenses have, have really adjusted to the spread, spread of the game. Okay, now, again, because that's a really interesting topic. And one of the things that, you know, I, I bring up a lot of times when we talk about this, this topic is, with the exception of Russell Wilson, when's the last Super Bowl winner that was a runaround guy? I mean, you still have to make throws from the pocket. Yeah. That's my contention. No. I, I just don't think you can that. And, and again, the jury's out on Lamar Jackson and some of those guys, but I just feel like you still have to be able to deliver the football. Yeah, well, th this is what I feel uh, about it. Like, you know, everybody, I, and I'm impressed with Lamar, what he's done and the running ability he has. Well, guess what? If, if he was in my offense, he would be making those runs, but they're off of pass plays, not run plays. And they'd still be talking about it. Because you play 22-man or you do, uh, yeah. you know, play. And he sees an ET or something and rolls out and says, Hey, I'm just going to run this. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't, don't think the NFL, you can design, design runs for the quarterback and expect that guy to be there. Uh, Cause they're so big and fast in that league that the guys, and, and I'm a, we're going to unfortunately read about Lamar Jackson getting hurt, pulling the ball out on one of those run options. I mean, we are, it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Hey, June, you talked about accuracy being the number one issue, right? And and, and I've heard and I, the reason I, I say Lamar, Bill, Lamar is very accurate passer. If you really watch when he throws the ball, he's one of those accurate passers. So he could be a drop back passer, and then if somebody would have taught him how to do it, right? When you talk, and again, this this goes to that to the next question. How much can a guy improve his accuracy and where does it come from? Does it come from the feet? Does it come from, you know, cause like, like you talked about differences in guys, right. And, you know, I can remember Colt, the ball, I, his elbow, I don't think ever like he, yeah. the, he, his elbow was way down. It was like, you know, normally they teach you to get your elbow up, all that stuff, but that wasn't his style. He was like throwing it almost sidearm sometimes. Yeah. But phenomenal, phenomenal accuracy. How do you develop that skill? Well, well, I, I think like, I think if, in fact, I've heard both Steve Barkowski and um, 
Warren Moon say how their accuracy improved. And it was on something that Mouse told me when I was a player that I did, and it's eye concentration on the target. Like if I, I go work out quarterbacks and they throw the ball, and eyes go to see there's pretty spiral. But the guys that are tremendously accurate, when the ball leaves their hand, they never leave their eyes off that target. Your brain tells your hand where it's got to go to put the ball right there. And if you're not concentrating like that, you're not. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, uh, uh, I, I know Steve has said it on ESPN that that, that single thing changed him, uh, you know, to the best deep passer in, in history. And I, I remember telling him that, you know, when I was throwing balls with him. But for him to say that, you know, as that was the number one thing that changed his career. And Warren said exactly the same thing. Because Warren, we used to have these bucket drills. And, and Warren, you know, always was not hitting them, not in it. And uh, finally, I stand in there. I said, don't watch the ball. Watch the bucket all the way, the garbage can. And right then, every ball hit the garbage can. I mean, every one. If it didn't, if it didn't go in it, it hit it. And that changed his deep ball throwing uh, uh, tenfold. All right. Now, you mentioned a couple of guys that, you know, we talked about Barb, we talked about Bobby Bear, Jeff. Uh, you had a quarterback at Hawaii your first year, Dan Robinson, who's now, a, I, I believe, a dentist, devout Mormon kid. You've had all different personality tra traits, June. You know, what, what do the great quarterbacks all have? What about... What are the intangible things that they have? Well, uh, some some of them are quiet guys. Some of them are are yell holler scream guys. Uh, but the number one thing that that the players buy into is the success you have as a quarterback. You know, you you can say all the right things, do this, and then they go on film and they see you know missing this guy, whatever. I mean, you got to make plays and you got to become that leader in the huddle, uh, standing in, taking a shot, you know, from somebody, but completing the ball, you know, and, and when your teammates see you doing that, uh, all of a sudden you're leading by example. And, and, you know, I think, you know, like, like, like Tua, for example, when I had him at St. Louis, just knowing how he was, um, he was a fearless guy with the ball in his hand and the players, Love that, you know. They they wanted to, to and I and I kept telling Tua, Tua, you got to go down. I said you can't look for somebody to run over when you break the pocket, which he did every time. And you know, you kind of watch him at Alabama. He was the same way. And then at the end, he started, you know, getting it. But but um, you know, that that probably um, leading by example and having success puts all those guys. Up, up a level, you know, Jim, Jim Kelly in particular that way, great leader and players loved him. All right. And I'm, I'm really glad you went down the tour lane because this is, he's a incredibly popular player in the UK because the dolphins, because of we'll go back to Marino's days when television first brought the NFL to, to the UK, mm -hmm. there is a huge dolphin population back there. And I hear all the time, and, and it's so it's so interesting, June, now how quarterbacks, I mean, they got to do it right now. I mean, you're drafted number one. You got to go. I mean, you better be right now a guy. Right. <laughs> and I can I hear all this talk about this is a big year for Tua. Tua's got to make a step. Tua's got to do this. 
What, what do you see for Tua? Well, I always like Tua's accuracy. And, you know, his decision-making uh, was like a rookie last year. You know, uh, he, he, you know, I think Nick protected him a little bit more uh, at Alabama where he didn't have to call the protections. I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but just watching it. In the National Football League, you got to redirect the protections and know where your guy is. Uh, and last year when I'm watching Tua, you know, there's two guys coming off the side that he's supposed to be looking at. He ain't looking, but guess what? He's still completing the ball, you know. But I know he was supposed to throw a hot on over there, you know. Uh, and so I know that that's obviously gotten better and better because he is a rep guy. And uh, when I, you know, if, if he had come out in 1980, for example, he wouldn't even got into a regular season game until his third or fourth year. You know, right. play pre and, and then he'd know everything by the time, you, you know, you get in there. But now, like you say, the money's changed the game. If you're taking in the first round, you don't get you don't get that time to learn the game, you know, and uh, uh, you're thrown right in there. Now, now I'll, I'll say this. Uh, Patrick Mahomes kind of uh, had done the way that we did it. You know, uh, he sat there. For a couple of years, they played in preseason. Da 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 da. He had uh, Neil. What's the guy's name? Broke his knee and leg. Smith. Or Smith. Not Neil. Yeah. yeah. Alex Smith. Alex Smith went. He watched him. You know, he watched uh, another couple guys. And then guess what? He got his chance. He had enough preseason. He'd been in the meetings. He was ready to roll. And now, obviously, maybe, and he might end up being the best quarterback ever playing the National Football League. Well, it's interesting. We're going to get to him in a second because I know you spent some time with him on the Big Island a couple of weeks ago, and I, I'm I'm interested to hear about that. But you know, like I, the thing that that the expectation level is just so humongous with these guys when they come into pro football, and I, I don't care if you played at Alabama, Notre Dame, Michigan, wherever you played, the enormity of the position, June, the enormity of the position of quarterback in the National Football League and all it entails and how much more intricate the offenses are and so many more calls and you're, you're seeing coverages that you like you I watch big big 12 football and you play you're going to see 85 percent of the time the quarterbacks seeing quarters coverage because that's all they play right yeah. then you get to the next level and you get all the combinations and all the different little adjustments to, to the coverage it is a phenomenal learning curve for these kids coming out of college yeah and what's happened jeff is that uh like i want to say almost 22 or three of the teams in the league only kept two quarterbacks now you know on on the roster so so there's no way to even develop a a, a guy you know um um you know it, it and and like, well, our guy Garrett Gilbert, I think he's played 10 years now. And, and you know, he's been a backup, moved around to teams. But he had the luxury to kind of learn. Finally, he got to start a game last year after all that, that time in the, in the real game, not just yeah. preseason. And he almost won. He was in Dallas, and they had to throw at the last play of the game. Uh, he misses, but but they had a chance to win the game. And he ended up with good numbers and, and looked really good, like a veteran guy. But that development period, because of the two quarterback, and I think the National Football League really needs to relook at that, and and they need to have a special uh, spot on the team that that you can't keep another player 
uh, it has to be a quarterback. And uh, uh, I believe they'll probably start doing that with the uh, uh, CFL, XFL merger happening. Now the USFL looks, I mean, they're not going to have any quarterbacks. Guess what? Right. You, you lose Lamar Jackson, you're down to your last guy. You don't have another one. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's a scary thought for, for the highest level, the, the, what they're demanding uh, money-wise from television and everything else if you, if you, if you get screw that thing up. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and we talk about this a lot because, you know, I'm a big proponent of a developmental league for the National Football League because I experienced what NFL Europe did. And, you know, we can talk about Kurt Warner being in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, Jake Delholm took a Carolina Panther team to one field goal away from winning the Super Bowl. And Jake yep. Delholm would have never been in the National Football League had it not been for NFL Europe. And then on the, on the flip side of that, you know, Andre Ware – they finally said after he couldn't play in NFL Europe, they said he guy can't play, right? So at least you you found out. You can't find out if they're not playing. Right, right. No, I, I there's definitely a spots for for that. Hey, you a couple of weeks ago, I think ten days ago or so, uh, you're at Hokulia, which is a beautiful, beautiful golf course here on the Big Island, and you and you were there for Patrick Mahomes golf tournament. Tell me what your impressions of young Patrick Mahomes are. Well, uh, he he's a great guy, okay, which I, I can imagine because he really commands a lot of respect from, from his teammates. But watching him interact, like tra Travis Kelsey was there and and uh, uh, the long kid, the offensive lineman, uh, it must be Howie's son. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, he, he you know, he was there, and so – it, it was just fabulous. Uh, his whole family was there, his mom, his dad, uh, uh, sisters, and, and so and his fiance. And so it was really cool to watch him interact with, with everybody. He took, you know, which doesn't surprise me, anybody that wanted a picture, anybody wanted an autograph, he did every one of them, you know. And, and uh, he, he said, I mean, and I, you know, that, that, that Hokalia, he's coming back. He's going to do it every year. So I, all I know is I read a bunch of comments from the players. How come you didn't invite me? Now it's going to cost him a little money to fly in all his buddies. Well, I, I tell you what, after that contract that Lee negotiated for him last year, I think he could he could charter yeah, he, jets for flying people. <laughs> he, he went out on a private jet, so obviously <laughs> got with somebody. Hey. You know, I know one of the things that used to piss you off a little bit, and, and you don't piss off very easily, but one of the things that used to piss you off was when people would label, and I remember Colt going through this, people would label your quarterbacks as system quarterbacks. Now, is there such a thing as a system quarterback, June? No. The closest thing that I would say is a system quarterback, and I, I made this statement when that was said, and I, you know, about Tim Tebow, and I see it with Lamar Jackson. Now, the system that, that Urban Meyer ran with Tim Tebow, that was a system quarterback. And you had to have a Tim Tebow athlete to do it. And I said this at the time, Tim Tebow couldn't have played for me. You know, he, 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 you, know you say we're a system. Well, guess what? You can't play in my system because you got to be able to throw. <laughs> you know? so, so if you can pass in my offense, you can pass at the next level. Um, Timmy Chang uh, set all kind of records, but he was not as accurate as Colt, you know. So when, when he went up and get, got his chances, I 
thought it would be tough for Timmy to do it because he's throwing it 65 times a game with me. And if you miss two or three wide open guys, uh, you know, you're going to get the third one, you know, and, and at 30 passes, you get one guy wide ass open, you miss him. Guess what? You can't play. And that's why, that's why uh, I thought Colt and, and, and I think the off is so sad what happened a couple you know, weeks ago uh, was reading about Colt, but the, the off-field things got Colt out of the league. If you look at his preseason stats for the two years he was up there, he's like 44-51, eight touchdowns, no picks. Yep. Now, how in the world – I mean, you, I don't care. I don't care. You can take any, any number one pick. Anybody doesn't have those stats in a preseason game. In fact, I can remember uh, one of the games was on TV and John Madden was just like blown away by four or five of the throws. Who is this kid? You know, I mean, and, and, you know, I think if Colt had not had the, the demons he was fighting, he, he would have made it. Yeah, I think, I think you're, you're right. I, I think it's, it's really tre tremendously sad situation. And, uh, you know, for a guy that, what a magical, what a magical experience that was being around him, that, that 2007 undefeated team. Uh, June, when you look at the young quarterbacks today that, that are out there, are there any of them that you say, I think that guy's, watch that. I know you mentioned Mahomes, but, uh, you know, guys that you say, I really think this guy is now poised to take off. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I watch and I get asked to, great quarterbacks uh, lee always uh, every year has, sends me four or five of the young kids um i kind of liked uh what i really saw of the kid from wyoming that went to buffalo and uh you know uh, uh, and he improved tenfold under uh Dabo and and the system is built for him i think now and uh he finally got some receivers, uh, you know, in there that can make some plays. A couple of them are guys, Beasley and, and Emmanuel's. And, and uh, you know, I, but I really like the way he carried himself. Uh, so I think, you know, he's only in his second year, right? They're going to be yeah. third next year. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's a real young guy. Um, I've, I, this is not a young guy, but I've been very impressed with uh, Ryan Tannehill. Uh, I, I don't think anybody thought that he could make the plays he's made the last two years with the Titans. Uh, and he's really, to be quite honest, the reason they're in the playoffs. You can talk about that running back all you want and, and how they run the ball, but the passing, his passing is the difference. Because they had a couple rushers before, and Mariota was in and out and wasn't performing, and they didn't win. But Ryan Tenniel is, is winning. You know, that's interesting you say that because I remember, uh, I think it was our last season at SMU, we played Texas A&M yeah. and Tannehill was the quarterback. And I thought he's an athlete, big athlete, and, but I didn't, and he had a big arm, but he, I didn't think. I well, I think he was the never, only quarterback one year, right? That was the Yeah, only that year one he, season. Yeah, one so season. he didn't know how to play. Yeah. You know, uh, you know the guy I watched, June, is the kid out of Ohio State, Justin Fields and, and he's been a really lightning rod because you've seen some people said he was going to be the second guy picked somebody's you know others said he'd slide he slid to Chicago a little bit um, but when I watched him the thing that concerned me was big arm athletic ability all that stuff but if the you know the great ones that I've been around and you know you talk about Colt and you talk about those guys that 
they would throw a guy open or throw. They knew when a guy was going to come open and the ball was out of their hands and on the okay. way well before he was open, quote, open. When I watch fields too many times, I, it's like he sits there and wait. And if it's not, if it's not open, like flashed open, then he's gone. And I think those, those that, that concerns me the same way when I watch the kid that Washington took last year was out of that same system. Barrett, and, yeah. it, and we're back to talking about a system quarterback. Justin Fields may be that system quarterback because he run the same system Tebow did and so on. And same thing that the number one pick for Washington last year, and he's no longer in the league. And so that what you're saying is, is completely true. Now, the other kid that I really liked, and I thought New England was going to uh, get him uh, because of the relationship with saving the Belichick ass, is the Alabama quarterback, Mac Jones. I, yeah. rated, I rated him number one that he was my number one guy was he really even over the clemson kid because i'm a little concerned the clemson kid has to relearn nfl football the same way uh but 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 the mac jones he's what he did at alabama is what he's going to do this year at new england and i predict that he will be the starter okay now um interesting isn't it that we see a guy like tyreek hill just tearing it up in the national football league and how many of those kinds of guys have you had that had incredible careers and they weren't six feet tall and they weren't 225 and they weren't they weren't they weren't but they had great shirtless quickness they were highly competitive they had they had speak i want you to tell the story right because this is this i love this one you're driving through Arkansas somewhere to see a kid who's actually ba- bagging groceries, I think, if I remember the story correctly, right? Yeah. Well, then- he, he was, uh, and, I, and I'm going to think of his name real quick because I've told this story a thousand times, but I'm getting bad with names. The, uh, <clears throat> I went to Arkansas Tech or something like that, and they're running the wishbone. But I, in those days, this is like 1984, 83. They, the only thing the NFL team got or we got on the USFL was a computer list of, of times, you know, who were the fastest guys in the country. But nobody even really was using that those times. But I took all the guys that ran under 4-4. So I go up to Arkansas and... Uh, you know, I look at the film. You can't tell anything. Every once in a while, you see this receiver run by and cross or whatever, but they don't <laughs> throw. So I'm walking out of the gym saying, well, and, then, and nobody knew where he was. And so uh, uh, I'm walking out of the gym and I look up on the, they have all the records on the, on the gymnasium. They have the 60 indoor. And he holds the 60 indoor record at 5.85. Mm. So I I turned around back in and went into football. <laughs> I said, Tell me where, where this kid lives. <laughs> Go to his house. So I went to his house. His wife was one of those beautiful ladies I'd ever seen. Uh, but they're living, you know, on dirt floors. And I mean, they're just, it's, it's like really rough. He says, well, he's at the Safeway uh, working. He bags over there. So I went over there, introduced myself, you know, to him. And I said, when do you get a break? And, and he said, I get a break in, 
you know, about 15 minutes. So I said, come to the parking lot. I want to throw you some football. So I took his apron off. And I said, I'm not asking <laughs> So kind of our drills, you know, we do. We're catching this way, that way, do this. Uh, so when we threw 20, 25 passes, I said, okay, here's a contract. We're going to draft you. Ended up drafting in the second round at the USFL at the Denver Gold. And he ended up playing. Uh, he ended up uh, playing in the National Football League for five or seven years after the USFL folded for Kansas City. And then he died. Uh, he couldn't swim. And he was on a boat with his kid. And his kid fell in the water. And he saved his son. And then he drowned. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah. Well, it was a terrible story. Um, I just feel bad. I can't remember the name. You know, it's a, it's amazing in what you guys have done in that offense. And uh, I think some of the four most fun years I ever had was coaching receivers for you at SMU and, and watching Texas every year would get all these five-star recruits and they'd come in and wouldn't piss a drop in their four years at Texas. And we're out there with Cole Beasley, who had a uh, scholarship from us and an opportunity to go to Air Force and no place else and Emmanuel Sanders and and Aldrich Robinson and Darius Johnson and every single one of those guys played in the National Football League two of them are still playing in the National Football League yeah. but but there wouldn't have been a one of them June not a one of them who would have yeah. been offered offered by any of those big schools and you found guys and could take could elevate their game to the point where, you know, you, like you, you think about Manuel Sanders, maybe if if, ball, if the Bills get back to the Super Bowl, he'll be the first player in NFL history to play on three Super Bowl teams. I mean, it's 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 phenomenal what that yeah. kid has been able to accomplish. Yep. Well, you know, I, I knew he was going to make it when we suspended him the junior year, uh, you know, uh, because he, he was busting rules and stuff. And when I told him, I said, listen, I'm, I'll make some calls and help you get into the National Football League this year. But I promise you, if you come back and we're willing to just abide by the rules and listen and play one more year here, you'll get drafted in the first or second round. And you end up getting drafted in the second round. Uh, and I give him credit for having the courage and taking the rough way because uh, that wasn't an easy decision. You know, he was kind of arrogant in any way. He thought he, you know, which all the great ones are. They have yeah. that, I'm better than everybody else, okay? And and so you got to learn how to coach those type guys. Beasley was the same way, you know. Um, they, they, yeah, I, I swear, they, I swear, hey, Beasley, every time he looks in the mirror, he doesn't see a 5'8", 165-pound no. white kid. I mean, he, see, he sees Adonis looking back at him in the mirror. Right. I mean, it's just the way he is. That's the mental mentality that has allowed him to play so this long you know and uh, Emmanuel being the same way hey I gotta ask you to take some questions because we got a ton of people have had you know all around the world have sent questions in June to, to, and then we're going to cut you loose I, I appreciate you so much taking this time with us Michael can you come out and we can get some questions to June yes sir hi gentlemen Coach Jones, uh, I've got a question from Fred, Fred Flunk in Ireland. Uh, how good a running back was Craig Hayward? Craig Hayward was the best uh, running back. I mean, he for me, he was the perfect uh, guy for my system because I could put him on a defensive end. I could put him on anybody. And uh, he was a devastating blocker. But he had run ability too. 
uh, I think he had played almost five or six years in the league as a running back. And the most yards he ever got were 300. And I promised him if he'd get his weight down to 260, uh, <laughs> I, I'll put you in the Pro Bowl. And he rushed for 1,300 yards for me and made the Pro Bowl. Hey, June, I think it was two weeks ago we had Bucky Brooks on, right? And Bucky was playing in Green Bay. And he was the nickelback in Green Bay. And it was the playoff game, right? And Fritz sends him on a nickel blitz and where they tuck the nickel up inside yeah. the tackle, right? Yeah. And so he sees all this, the tackle sets high and he sees this enormous cavity and he's he's got Jeff George right in his sights. And then he said, all of a sudden, George handed the ball off on draw. <laughs> to Ironhead and he said the next thing he remembers was just a white flash and he broke his face mask and he had seven stitches in his in his mouth oh, from man. running into running into Ironhead uh, he was the best he was the best okay Michael yeah so we've got Simon and Preston saying hey coach how about Coach Jones sharing a funny story about Jerry Glanville? Uh, there's a hey, million of those. Tell, tell the James Brown story. That's the one I love so much. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so so we had uh, all kind of people coming to practice and coming to games, wanting to be on the sideline. We had, uh, I mean, it was a who's who in Hollywood, basically, every game. So. One time, James Brown uh, came to practice, and uh, um, he made him a tailback. He put him in there and <laughs> up place up in the field. And uh, uh, I don't know if that's the one, Jeff, about him. I remember him handing the ball off, and James not wondering if maybe I should be doing this, you know? <laughs> but it's, and you know what I heard was that he came in by helicopter, and nobody, Jerry didn't tell anybody. And all of a sudden, this guy gets out of the helicopter dressed in a full Falcons uniform and comes well, over it. and yeah. starts running place. <laughs> it was James Brown. I forgot that part of it. Oh, that is too I think much. One of, the, one of the other stories that is a great story. Uh, we're playing uh, in 90, I want to say 91. And Dion is playing baseball, okay? And... Uh, so he's MVP of the, the series, World Series, and they finish on Saturday. Uh, and so Dion comes to the game. Jerry, uh, you know, he, he, he gets a helicopter just like James Brown did. He, they drop him off. He goes in there, changes his clothes. We've already gone through our, our all of our warm-ups, all our walkthrough. We've done everything. And so Dion comes running out of the tunnel now and onto the sideline. And so the kickoff, we're, we're receiving. So Jerry says, get your ass back there. You're returning the kick. <laughs> they get into almost a fight. And, and, and he says, get your ass back there. Yeah, I have stretch. I'm done. He's going all through this. Dion goes back there and catches it, takes it 104 for a touchdown. <laughs> hey, we got a, we got a um, head, uh, one, excuse me, an offensive line coach from Snow College and he's from Utah, June. Uh, sent me a question and I thought, wow, that's a great question. He said, what were the two things about Timmy Chang and Colt Brennan that made them such great run and shoot quarterbacks? 
Well, number one, uh, Timmy had, that's the only thing he had ever done. He, he went to St. Louis High School through his grade school, high school. And of course, Ron and Cal were there. And that was the only thing he ever, ever had run. So when we, when we had tremendous stats coming out of uh, St. Louis High School, and then we, he was really the first big time player that we got to stay home when I got the UH job, because there was very, very few kids that would stay home and play at UH my first couple of years. And so he had, like I said, he had knowledge. He had the anticipation, Jeff Steller. He kind of knew because he'd been running it for so long. Now we added some things and, uh, uh, you know, I probably threw more um, of the routes that Timmy knew when he was playing. And, uh, you know, we, we, but even, but, but I mean, how you say he set the all time record in the history of college football. He's one of the top passers. I think uh, the other, the other guy you asked about is Colt. Well, Colt, I remember this, and Jeff mentioned this game where Reagan Mauia played at San Diego State. Colt had no idea what we were doing in 2005, none. I'd call a play, the read is open, wouldn't throw it, move around, do it, make a play, okay? He led the nation in passing, led the nation in total offense in 2005, and the third quarter of that San Diego State game I was getting tired of, you know, I didn't know you get handcuffed and what to call, you know, that he knows. And so I called this divide or whatever it was. And I said, okay, there's a touchdown right here to, to uh, Devon. I said, he's got to see this one. Well, he saw it, threw it on time, touchdown. And I remember saying into the headset, it's taken 12 games and he finally knows what the hell we're doing. <laughs> I remember. Then the next year, obviously, was history. The 2006 season, to be quite honest, I thought was better than the 2007 season. I got, that's my contention, too. I think that 11-win team, the yeah. pounded, and I mean pounded. Yeah. Arizona State fans, don't be pissed at me for saying this, but we kicked the shit out of you in the Hawaii Bowl. Yeah. And, I mean, we did. That that was the best. Don't do eight, Pardon? I think. I think he threw eight touchdown passes. Oh, yeah. Jason Rivers, I think, caught five of them. It was something yeah, really yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Full record. Full record. Give me another one, Michael. Uh, yeah, we've got one more. It's from Colin in Northeast England. Why does the modern spread offense work, but the run and shoot offense not work or didn't work? Well, it worked. It's worked at every level I've got it. We've won at every level. We've been the number one offense in the National Football League. We've been the number one offense in college, number one offense in high school. It works. It's just that, to be quite honest, nobody really runs it the way Mouse and I ran it. And the closest guy doing it is uh, is uh, Nick Rolovich at Washington State. And uh, I don't know what his record was last year, but 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 this one, it's got it got Detroit to the to the NFC Championship game. It got. It got uh, um, Buffalo, obviously, uh, a lot of Marshall Broder, a lot of our stuff is the same. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I've heard that comment for 40 years, but it's not true. And I'm glad you brought that one to the table, Michael, because I told Colin that we were going to get into this deep because let me tell you something. It has worked. It does work. And take a look at the National Football League and every offense has some component of it in it. Look at what the success they had in New England with Brady. 
it was a lot of those very same concepts that you you guys were teaching 25 years ago, Jim. You remember back when you brought this thing to, to football, if you ran a hook or you ran a hitch, you ran a hitch or you ran a hook, regardless of what the defense did, right? You just were locked into those routes. Yeah. You, you changed the – this is why I say you guys need to be in the Hall of Fame because you changed football. You changed – how many people changed football? Not very many. Right, mm-hmm. football is a copycat game. You changed it, and go watch. And I and I'd sit with anybody and watch tape. And I'm going to tell you, every time you see the inside streak read, take the middle of the field when the middle's open. You say, "Thanks, June. Thanks, Miles," because mm-hmm. that's the, that's the kind of stuff you brought to to football. Yeah, nobody was really reading coverages at all. 1987. Uh, no pro team anyway, and no pro no pro team lined up in four wide receivers. Uh, that was uh, that's why we got all those mistakes. And then uh, Bill Walsh one time, and I he and I became good friends at, at the end of his life. Uh, he'd come to Hawaii all the time and play golf with him, go to dinner with him. And uh, I I got on him I said, one day. I said, Bill, I've had to live with this for 25 years now. <laughs> that that's the problem with this offense. It can't you can't score inside the 20. And I said. When you made that statement on Thanksgiving Day, we were the number one team in the National Football League scoring inside the 20. But even those years, they didn't have those stats. But I yeah. kept them all. I yeah. kept all of them, everything. Yeah. And so yeah. it's not like the statement, you can't win with this. You can't score inside the 20. Well, guess what? Every, go, go see what everybody does now when it's fourth and four on the four. Yeah, watch the goal route. You see the goal route. <laughs> it's amazing they don't do it the whole time well i'm gonna tell you something it, it is really changed football and it changed an awful lot of people's lives along the way and and uh, a lot of guys made a lot of money because of that offense that would have never you know would have never played in the national football well, you're, a, you're a you're a football purist so i'm gonna i'm gonna share something with you which i andy reed really <laughs> all our stuff too. And if you watch them real closely, they do a lot of it. And, you know, now he's in, instrumented that fly motion and all those quick motions on the sweep. That's original run and shoot stuff. That's yeah. how yeah. that is, Tiger Ellison ran it. And Mouse ran it that way when I was in at Portland State. All those Rip. same. Yeah. yeah. Rip, I can't even, I can't remember the play call, but I know Rip is the short, is the motion across yeah. You know what? And here's here's again. Here's and I because now we're getting up. This has been so much fun for me. Frank Gans always said, always said, confirm with validity everything you coach, right? And I'm gonna tell you something. When you look at the Buffalo Bills, who spend more time in four and five wide receivers than any team in the National Football League, right? That's confirmation of validity, as Frank would say. And they also have, I don't know, you may not even know this, June, but you probably do, but they have a package in their offense that is called the Mustang package, and it's the go route, it's divide, it's switch, it's about three or four of the base routes in the run and shoot that Cole Beasley installed with Brian Dable, because Dable goes, what are you doing on that route, right? 
because Cole knew, Cole knows how to get open, right? And so yeah, as no, Cole, the, I know all about that because I'm I'm sending him videos, uh, videos of all the routes that he that you're just putting. He wanted the switch, and of course the go route. He ends up throwing a touchdown on the go route on a yep. four deep across the safety space. And so Dabo always is texting me. Did you see that? You know that. I, and then I text him when I see one of our throws go. But I didn't know they had the Mustang package, but I do know that they got two guys now, Emmanuel and Cole Beasley have, have run those routes a thousand times and they'll be doing them correctly right off the bat. You know? Guaranteed. Junior, man, I tell you what, I love you and thank you so, so much for spending this much time with us. I know our yeah, fans, no, no. It, it's, it's like football 101, man. It's like the only class I'd never miss. <laughs> I got, I got, uh, I got, CFL, I got a CFL XFL merger call tomorrow morning at this time, actually. Well, uh, well hey, all you got to do is make the call. We'll get the band back together and go go turn <laughs> that sucker out. <laughs> well, I may, may have that chance. All right, coach. Take care. I love all you. Right. Take care. Yeah. Aloha.